I have a dream. Oh wait, that's not exactly the speech I was going to give, but I do have a dream. My dream is that, like this lovely lady, I could take my dog to Whole Foods, <laughs> and I could read a magazine while my dog sat next to me, looking gorgeous. I have this dream, and I have faith that these things can happen, because. I have friends, Neil and Kristen Hafner, who have a dog, who can go and sit in a cafe. He can also fly an airplane. Izzo is ready. Izzo can walk through the airport without a leash. He can go through security. He is a trained companion dog, and when he gets through security, he can walk down the ramp. And he can get on the plane, and he can sit right at Kristen's feet, and nobody bothers him. And he gets to go to Michigan. I wish my dog Miso could go to Michigan, but Miso's not ready. Miso's not ready to fly. The last time I took Misu anywhere near the airport, he managed to squeeze out of the van door as it opened at the at the baggage claim, and my sister Karen and I had to throw our bodies on top of him in order to keep him from getting hit by a car. She and I both had skinned knees, and we had to throw our bodies over him. <sighs> Misu makes poor choices. Actually, to tell you the truth, Misha makes no choices at all. That's the problem. He is completely free to whatever is smells good, or looks good, or feels good in the moment, whether it be a stuffed monkey or the cat litter box. So, what is what's the problem? What's the difference? Why can Izzo? Why is Izzo ready to fly? Well, the truth is. That he's had preparation and training. Kristen and Neil are good dog parents. Can you stand up? Let's just let's just give them some recognition. Yeah, Kristen and Neil taught Izzo at a young age how to be ready for the great life he was going to have. He learned to accept constraints. He learned to follow their leadership. His eye is on their every move, and now he walks in freedom and constant companionship. Isn't that the life that you would like your dog to have? Isn't that the life that you would like to have? To walk in freedom and companionship? Amen. Me too. But who of us wants to go through the training? Who's ready? Who's ready? Let's go. Well, we're starting off a sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew,、um, and、uh, I've been tasked with a, a beginning,、uh, kind of at the beginning. We just came through Christmas, and so we've already gone through Jesus' birth and how, you know, the angels proclaimed it in the heavens, and how he was born, and how the dream saved his life. And now we've progressed 30 years. Boom! Feels like that yesterday too. I mean, I've progressed quite a bit. I'm more than 30, but time flies when you're Jesus. And、uh, 
he's 30, and now he is, um, uh, has arrived on the scene. Um, and we're going to see how he begins his ministry. He only has three years to complete the task that's ahead of him. Um, and he's been waiting, waiting, waiting for like 30 years. So we're going to see what happens of how he prepares himself uh, to enter into this ministry. So here's an idea. Preparation matters. Preparation matters? Does preparation matter? Who says preparation matters? Oh, who says preparation? It's okay, it kind of matters. Don't really need it. Ha, nobody. Well, it's a good thing that I prepared a really long time for this sermon. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Now, um, a couple, several people back your sense of preparation matters. Benjamin Franklin says, uh, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. It's just like that. Abraham Lincoln says, uh, give me six hours to chop a, down a tree, and I'll spend the first floor just sharpening that axe. Well, yeah, it does kind of seem like that in terms of Jesus, because he's been, this axe has been sharpened, sharpened, sharpened for like 30 years, and he's right now at the point of, okay, where's the tree? Show me the tree. Here's a question for you. How do you prepare for success? How do you prepare for success in a business, a mission, a life change, getting married? Shira, how do you prepare for getting married? She's hear me. Shira, how do you prepare for getting married? <laughs> Better listen to this sermon. You need to prepare. Okay, here's what, uh, let me hear a couple people. What's, what's the one thing that you prepare for, for example, before you go on a trip? What do you do? Some and some. Pack your house. That's the easy answer. Pack your, I mean, pack your, your suitcase, sorry. Make a list. Check it twice. And a, laundry. Okay, what else? When you're going to go on a trip, anybody else? Well, book a flight. That's a, good, that's a good one. Here's what I do when I get ready to go on a trip. I clean my house, I pay my bills, I, I write who should take care of my children should I crash in a plane, I scrub the toilets. What do I do before I prepare for a sermon? I clean my house, <laughs> I empty my desk, I pay my bills, I take down the Christmas tree ornaments. And then about Friday, I clean my house again. We all have our ways of approaching big change. We feel something's going to happen, and we're like, how do I prepare for this? Whatever your method is, book a plane flight. Yeah, sure. That, that, if you feel like that's important, go ahead and do that. But whatever your method is, it's probably a good idea, a little bit, to set some groundwork for what you want to accomplish. Um, now, for Jesus, he's in a good situation because a tremendous amount of groundwork has been laid for him, not by himself. Hundreds of years have been in the making his ministry, have been making his ministry. Prophecies from prophets way, way before um, have marked out his path. Born of a virgin, you know, uh, prince of peace, a God is with us, suffering servant. All of those things have been laid out for him. Uh, God made a very specific genealogy for him to follow. So he's born of the, of the house of David. Um, he even gets his own special herald to prepare the way for him when he lands on the scene. It's his cousin, John the Baptist. No detail was overlooked. 
However, when he shows up, he also has a few preparations that he needs to do. And we're going to read about what Jesus does before he starts ministering. There are two specific things that happen. I'll just give you, tell you the whole story right now. He gets baptized, and he goes into a testing period in the wilderness. Okay, done? All right, have a great day. No, we're going to take a look at the scripture. Um, let's go uh, into the text, Matthew 3, and we will start with the baptism. Taylor Hansen, you've made this bold and so beautiful for people with 30-year-old eyes. Let's see. All right. Thank you. Matthew 3, and we're going to just cut out a little chunk in the middle, but this is basically the whole chapter, and we're going to just read up through the baptism. Um, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare, prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And this is what John said. Um, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his, is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Sounds really ominous. Then Jesus came from Galilee first time we see him, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So let's just go back and review what's happening here. Everyone, everyone in all the towns are preparing for this big sense of change. There's a spark in the air. An old prophecy is being fulfilled in front of their very eyes. They're all living under occupation. They're oppressed. They're feeling heavy. But something is happening. And everyone, hordes of people are coming out to the wilderness, to John, this very strange wild guy. And they're saying, I want to be part of this change. They don't even fully know what it all is. They know that John is heralding a long-awaited Messiah. And they don't have all the details, but they're saying, I'm ready. Let me be part of this. Um, they were eager. And in, in this realm, there's also like a shaking up of things that have been familiar. In specific, I think this is a, a lovely thing. John and Jesus, they're cousins. They're like six months apart. John has known Jesus since before they were born. John is famously recorded as being the baby, right, in Elizabeth's womb. And as Mary comes walking, <laughs> they're walking, greeting each other. There's Mary, there's Elizabeth with their babies in their tummies. And John apparently jumps in Elizabeth's womb like, whoa! Dude, I'm so happy you're here. And Jesus like, 
But John has known Jesus all his life. They're both like 30 years old. They've, they've known each other. They grew up together. They, they're familiar. But there's something in this familiarity which has also been shaken up. When change comes, the things that are familiar to you take a different light. And it's important, especially for people who are religious, to know that when God is on the move, things are going to be just a little different than what you might have thought. And it would serve you well to be flexible, let's say. So in, in this case, John says, this guy, my cousin, is somebody more special than everyone knows. He is going to basically be the judge of the world. His, um, his what does it say, his threshing, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. Um, John very likely thought, oh, this is time for the Romans to get out. This is time for all things to come up to a close. And he himself is eager. He's actually uncomfortable with, with Jesus' uh, request to be baptized. Jesus, on the other hand, is cool as a cucumber. He says, John, let it be this way for now. It's, this is good. There is a benefit in this process. He, he says, let it be. Just baptize me. There's going to be time for the rest of this all later. Now we'll continue with our text. Now as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. What a moment. At that moment, the Spirit of God descends like a dove and alights on him. Strange. Wait a minute. Is this a kissing book? I thought that we were getting into a story about revolution, throwing off the armies, change my culture. This is a picture from one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. In this story, in this movie, there's a little boy who's homesick and his grandfather comes to read him a story ostensibly about sports and fencing and monsters and revenge and miracles. And the boy says, suddenly there's a moment where a love moment happens and he discovers that the center of the story is actually love. Is this a kissing story? I'm going to tell you right now, the Gospel of, John, of Matthew, the story of Jesus, is a kissing book. Now, it is a love story. It's about true love. And at this moment, when it looks like things are moving on to the revolution, God says, wait a minute, I have something to say to you. I love you. You're my son. There is nothing in this whole universe that is more important than that. Let's just take a moment and let me just hug you, and let me tell the whole world how pleased I am with you. 
the true love in the story of the gospel is maybe not the one that you're familiar with, not the one that we're familiar with in terms of romance and um, fairy tales, but it is the central theme of the whole story. If you miss the love factor, the true love in at, that's placed right at the beginning of this gospel, you will misinterpret all the rest of Jesus' actions that are to come. Do not miss this important billboard. Everything we're going to look at coming forward is about this divine love. Try this on for size. There is a love that God has within himself. From the beginning of the Bible, as we have read it, in Genesis, when he says, let us make man, he says, let us make man in our image. There is a fellowship and a communion, a friendship, a besties, a homies, a peers, a conversation that is complete, perfect, overflowing, that is within God himself. God didn't make humans because he was lonely and needed someone to love him. He made it us because he was full, because he was overflowing, because he had so much love within himself, and he wanted to share that. He's not narcissistic. For God to love himself is not a self-centered, conserving thing. It's a, it's a generative power. The love of God is generous and generative. And this point when the father says, son, I see you, I love you, I'm pleased with you. This is a profound moment where humanity gets back in touch with that divine power source of God's love. And this love becomes Jesus' motivation throughout his life. How does that fit with you? How does that feel? Feel a little odd? We don't talk about that that much. Um, I also want to just throw in here that the sense of identity that Jesus gets from this moment is going to stay with him and solidify and hold them together. It's an identity that just Jesus as a human, I think, really appreciated. I am a huge fan of Jesus' divinity. I think he was 100% God. I also am an, a, a, an increasingly huge fan of his humanity. Think about the story of Jesus. This guy was a teenager at one point. It's difficult to be a teenager. Can I get amen, teenagers? Wait, was that a teenager? <laughs> um, he heard rumors among other kids, other people. That's a weird family. That, that kid, he, you know, his mom was pregnant with another man's baby. He's a bastard. Stay away from him. We don't know about them. They lived in Egypt for some time. It must have been very difficult for Jesus to feel like he belonged in this human sense. So when this word from heaven comes to him, it's just a grace 
that reaches down into his whole humanity. Um, so let's hold on to that. Baptism. Baptism sets Jesus into his identity of the Father's love. And that's what he will operate out of for the rest of his uh, ministry. All right, moving on from his baptism, we're going to go back to the scripture. And we're going to look at the part two of the preparation that Jesus did before he did ministry. Now, this is an interesting thing. We talked about, okay, we want to plan ahead for big ventures in our lives. That's always helpful. But this step, this next step, I think that Jesus did not plan for this. What do you think? He did a lot of planning. There was a lot of things that were laid out for him. But this is a funny one. Um, let's look at, the, let's look at this, the, the text here. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Woo! After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, well, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Oh, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Whew. Hallelujah. I love that. This is really interesting. How did Jesus end up in the wilderness? He was led by the Spirit. So he's like, I come out of the water, I'm the Son of God. Woo, I'm going to the wilderness, I guess. He is flexible. He's moving with where God has called him to be. And his next appointment for preparation is an unplanned stop. I just want to mention, that happens to us frequently, doesn't it? We think we're on our way somewhere, and then plans change. But when we know that we're being led by God, we go there. And then things get really difficult. <laughs> but because we know that we're called by God there, we stick it out and we find out what to do there. Before Jordan and I came to um, Hawaii in 2003, 2003, is that right, Eunice, 2002, yeah? We had just bought our first house in Massachusetts. We were going to 
plant a church there. But suddenly, we were walking out into the wilderness, Hawaii. It, it did seem in some ways like a completely different thing, and we really weren't sure what we we're going to do. Um, part of preparation is being ready to move when God tells you to move. It's, part of preparation is being flexible and listening. It's not about, I got a plan, I'm going to stick to this plan. If we're like Jesus, we're following the voice of the Spirit. Now, in the desert, there's something important that Jesus needs to do. And I will put it this way. He needs to settle an old score. But it's not the one that you're thinking of. The conflict that Jesus has with Satan in the desert is the one we mostly focus on. But I think that that is not the conflict that I am most interested in. The conflict that Jesus has to show down in the wilderness is the one that humans have had forever with their own sense of need. The conflict that Jesus needs to settle in the desert is the struggle that humans have with their own sense of need. He has to win this battle. If he doesn't win that battle, he will be a sitting duck for temptation, and Satan is happy to provide that. But it's the tyranny of our own sense of need which has haunted us ever since Eden. Eve, she saw that the fruit was beautiful, it was delicious, it could give her wisdom, and she didn't go to God with it. Instead, she ended up having this crazy convo with Satan. Oh, did God say, oh, Mr. Serpent, he said, oh, little girl, don't you know? Satan is a, a master of crazy talk. And if you let a crazy man talk to you and you talk back, you get crazy. Don't do it. But we can't blame the devil because the trouble starts with us. James puts it this way, uh, James 4.2. He says, uh, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Let me say that again. I think we might have a slide for that. I'm not sure. Uh, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war. Now, I could add to James' list. I would say when we feel the pain of need, we do other things as well nowadays, don't we? We medicate, we shop, we fantasize, we manipulate, we seduce, we overwork, we quit working, we eat, we purge, we fragment, we cut ourselves, we hook up, we move away. This is the conflict that Jesus needs to 
settle the score on. How does he do this? How does he face the tyranny of need? My brother-in-law, Tony, said to me just before uh, the service, he said, the first battle is the battle of the mind. Amen. The first battle is the battle of the mind. And Jesus is here in the desert alone fighting the battle of his own mind. This is how he does it. He fasts and he prays. Not so sexy, but let me say it again. He fasts and he prays. He purposefully, purposely becomes needy. He, this, guy, this is like a poor man in Palestine at the turn of the century. 40 days of fasting does not look good on him. He doesn't have a lot of fat stores. He's basically starving himself. He purposely goes into that place of need fearlessly, or if he's afraid, he does it anyway. And in that place, he comes to God with his need. This all happens before Satan shows up. It's an intentional weakness. And in that space, he solidifies a mindset. He says, lack is not going to change my core identity. Can we say that together? Lack is not going to change my core identity. One more time. Lack is not going to change my core identity. I think it's really important for us to begin to get that into us because nowadays, lack almost feels immoral, doesn't it? It almost feels immoral to be in a space of loose ends, of not having something, of not having something fixed. We live in a, a generation where we can get things fixed so fast. We've got two-day shipping. You know, we've got um, surgeries. We've got fantastic uh, technology. You know, when I was a little kid, um, I used to have to wait seven days to see my favorite TV show again. And we only had three channels, okay, four if you count the Japanese channel. Kiku, Kiku, is Kiku still? And I could only, Common Rider was only on like one, I don't know, so often. I had to wait seven days. And when Disney movie was over on Sunday night, I had to watch Lawrence Welk. I learned to watch ballroom dancing, right? And then if, if that wasn't going on, then I would have to call my friends up the street and see if they wanted to go roller skating in my garage. Or my sisters and I would cut out little design houses and graph paper. We did other things. Nowadays, if my kids want to see another episode of something, they can just walk it around the house. It, it takes them less than seven minutes to get the next episode. We live in an instant gratification world. And this, this struggle that we have with quieting our need is getting harder and harder. So we have less opportunity to know that mindset of my core identity is, never, is not gonna be shaken by lack. But the person who has that Strong mindset is a very powerful person. The person who's not afraid of lack can rebuff the, 
the voice of the devil. Jesus can wait for the right time for everything. Um, Satan's temptations are so interesting because he says, you know, uh, make bread, uh, throw yourself off the temple top, and uh, let your life go. And the third thing he says is, um, take the kingdoms of the world, because that's what you came for anyway, right? There's shortcuts. Um, but all of these things are things that Jesus is going to do. He's going he's to make bread, just not now. He's going to give up his body, and he's going to trust God to save him, but not now, not in this way. And he's going to get all the kingdoms of the world, but he's going to say there's a process to this which matters. The ability to be a free person is something that Jesus wants us all to have. Who here would like to stop being tyrannized by need? Come on. Who wants to stop being bossed around? Yeah, not by your wife, Steve. It's not that. No, I thought. Elizabeth's wonderful. She would never boss anybody around. Um, I do. I want to stop being bossed around by, the, by what I want and need in life. So here's, a, here's a, a, a little tip. What Jesus suggests is, again, this is not sexy, but I'm going to offer it to you because he says it. Try fasting. This is an old, an old method, and Jesus actually says um, fasting is important to get leverage on things that you can't get leverage on. Why? Well, I think it's because of this. I think it's because we are coming to God with the things that we heretofore have tried to get with our own power. We're giving up our power so that God can come in and take care of our needs. Now, when I fast, and I, I'll tell you, I experimented this week because like a good pastor, I read the passage and said, oh, Jesus is fasting. I better try that. When I fast, I don't feel good. And it's just one day. And I even drink coffee during my fast. Like one cup, maybe, so I don't get a headache. But I don't feel good. I get sleepy. I try to pray, and then I get sleepy. And I get unfocused. And I can get short-tempered. You know, I'm sorry, Jeremiah. I was sort of mouthy at him the day I was fasting. Um, and, but every hour that I fast, here's what happens. Every time I feel hungry, I also have this reaffirmation. This is why I feel hungry. It's because I need more from you, God. Every time I feel hungry, I go, okay, this is why. Because the battles I'm facing in my life have spiritual solutions, not fleshly solutions. I need those. Um, when I feel hungry, I remember my security is in God's provision, not my provision. When I feel hungry, I remember I'm reaching for his voice to influence my decisions. So that's just a free tip. I expect to, all, to see you all coming back here next week about two pounds lighter. No, some actually, <laughs> this is a funny thing. Fasting without praying is only dieting. 
So fast and pray. Uh, finally, uh, what I, one thing I love about this section of Scripture is after it's all done, the, the angels come and minister to Jesus. Angels come and take care of his needs. If the Son of God has had such a hard time, I mean, it must have been hellish. It must have been awful. If he's exhausted and spent and he needs angels to come and minister to him, whoo, I'm going to need it so much more. And God is so willing to bring heaven down to meet our need when we persevere. So let that be an encouragement to you. Um, I have one, um, I'm going to wrap this up. I have one methodology I'd like to share with you, an application tip for how we might follow Jesus in this life kind of from what we've seen in the scripture. Uh, and I think it's an important pattern for walking with him through the rest of, of the gospel and for us to walk through in the rest of our life if we want to follow him. Um, baptism is kind of like a, a passive, in a sense, receiving sort of mode. Part of his preparation was, I'm just going to be. Um, I'm going to receive good things from God. I'm going to know my identity. I'm going to soak that in. Uh, but then testing in the wilderness is kind of a doing thing. I'm going to fight. I'm going to push in. I'm going to work at this. So there's a, there's a being and there's a doing. There's a being and there's a doing in the life of faith, in the life of Jesus. Um, we see Jesus being, he's, when he bides his time to start his ministry, I think we have a, do we have a, a being picture of Jesus? There we go. There's Jesus. He let something be done to him. He received his identity as a son. He refuses to engage in crazy talk and receives ministry from angels. He's, he, he knows how to be. And then we see Jesus doing. He went to the Jordan to get baptized. He followed the spirit to the wilderness. He fasted and prayed for 40 days. He silenced Satan with very precision statements. And then going forward, we're going to see he does lots, loads and loads of other things, miracles and healings. So this guy knows how to work. He knows how to do. I want to suggest that as we prepare ourselves, we need to be ready to do both, to be and do. And the words of Frank Sinatra, do be do be do 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 be do be do can I guess it with me? Do 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 be do be do 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 right? Do be do be okay, that's enough of that. But beware, beware of only being or only doing. Because if you only do in life and you stop being, you'll just have doo-doo. And you don't want to just have doo-doo. Uh, on the other hand, if you only be, I just soak in the presence, I'm going to another worship session, I'm, I just need another sozo, all, all good things. I, I love sozo, I love worship, but if I'm just going to be in, you know, still mode, um, 
and you don't ever do anything to operationalize what you know, you'll be stunted. You'll just be a baby. <laughs> and that's not what God has in mind for us. He wants us to grow up. He wants, to, he wants us, like Izzo, to fly on the big person's plane. You can't do that if you're a baby. But how do we know when we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to be? Like, is it do, be, do, be, do? Or is it a pattern? Is it do, do, be? Do, do, be? Or is it be, be? You know what I mean? How are we supposed to know? Is there some rhythm we're supposed to know? But Jesus gives us the secret to this. You don't memorize the beat. You follow the beat. When Eunice is leading, she's leading and everyone's following her. Or are they following the drummer? You're, you're following the drummer. You're following the beat that someone else is playing. And that person is your heavenly father. This is a, a scripture that doesn't come from Matthew, but I want to share it because I think it gives insight into what was going on in Jesus' mind. I want us to, to walk with us, walk with us as a community. It really, I really desire this for us as a community. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, Doobie, doobie, doo. Okay. Basically, this is what John says in, uh, to us. Very truly, Jesus says this in John, very truly, I tell you, he can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so you will be amazed. I've seen this at work in my life. I've seen this at work in many of your lives. And there's more to this. We've entered into this, but there's more. He wants to show us even more amazing things. And it requires that we tune in, that we become aware of when we feel a vibe, when we feel, hear a word, when we get a nudge. This is what Jesus did. This is how he lived his life. This is how he knew, oh, it's time to sleep. You're in a boat. That's okay. It's time to sleep. There's a storm. It's okay. It's time to sleep. This is how we knew. My, your, your friend Lazarus is dead. I want to go and raise him from the dead. No, not yet. Three days. Three days. You can wait. It's going to be okay. He goes. They say, what? if he loved him, why didn't he come earlier? Jesus was waiting for the timing because he was watching what the Father was doing. This is the way we live. This is what makes our life authentic, powerful, not scripted, unique. Each one of you has a place in that. Every one of you has a unique way to hear the voice of God. And it matters. It really matters because he loves you. And what he has to release in the world depends on that connection that he has with you. Sorry, shouldn't do that with a microphone on. Sorry. 
God loves me anyway. He loves me. Um, that's one quick last example. I'm at the laundromat last year. I'm doing my laundry. My, my machines are broken at home. I've got sheets and bedspreads to wash, and it's not very fun. And I'm doing it, and I feel like I hear the Lord say to me, I want you to go bring sandwiches to Truman and Elizabeth Lim. What? I want you to do it right now. I'm at Manoa, the laundromat. I just got a big machine. I'm getting it all in. You've got to time it right because if you don't, aren't there when it's done, someone will take your laundry out and leave it on the counter. I said, Lord, that's going to be really inconvenient. And that's kind of random. Why would I do that? Truman and Elizabeth had just moved back from another country where they had been invited to leave. Um, uh, and they had landed in Hawaii with their four kids. And they didn't even have cell phones yet. I didn't know exactly. I kind of thought I knew. But it was persistent. Okay. I went to Safeway. I felt like God had shown me in my mind just a glimpse of like sub sandwiches. I went to Safeway. There were two sub sandwiches left. And as a sign to me, the Chinese woman, they were half off. <laughs> Confirmation. I'm hearing the Lord. So, I've left my laundry in the laundromat, I get in my car, I drive to what I think is where they're staying. As I pull up, thank goodness I moved when I did. As I pull up, they are coming out of the house, loading up into their car with their children, and Truman says, oh, Sonia, nice to see you. Uh, we just woke up, and we're heading to T-Mobile to get cell phones. And the kids are hungry, and they want sandwiches. Isn't that beautiful? Now, that's not for me. It was for them. Well, it was for me, but these people needed to feel the touch of God because they just left somewhere they didn't want to leave, and they felt like they weren't maybe not seen. The Lord wants to say, I see you. I see every little thing that you need and every little thing that you want and I care. And then he let me participate in that divine circle of love, that fellowship, that bestie land, that homies. I'm a peep with God. He shares with me. And he uses each of us, when we follow his voice, to answer the need that someone else is having. Isn't that awesome? I love it. After all, <laughs> we want to be like Izzo. Izzo needs to come to church. He's keeping his eye on Neil and Kristen so that they can fly places together. And after all, this is a love story we're in.